you want to take your Bibles and turn to Luke uh, chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, starting in the the first verse. Uh, If you want to follow along in the few Bibles provided for you, you can turn to page 724, uh, 724. I'm going to be reading uh, 2, the the big 2 is the chapter number, verses 1 through 20, uh, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in uh, to the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2, starting in the first verse. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth, cloths, and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there was there were shepherds living living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company, the heavenly host, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to, whom on, uh, to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph with the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this day. You are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. But we are a stiff-necked people. We are stubborn and rebellious. We often do not listen to your word, but rather choose disobedience or apathy. We too often trust in our wisdom over yours. We often are more concerned with our own reputation than your fame throughout all generations. Yet you forgive our iniquity and transgression and sin. You forgive by judging your own Son. Though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you justify us freely by your grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom you put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show your righteousness 
because in your divine forbearance you passed over former sins to show your righteousness at the present time so that Jesus might be the just and the justified of the one who has received faith in Jesus. Father, give us faith to trust your grand plan of redemption that you put forward at the fullness of time in the birth of your Son. Father, help us be a people that reflects the reality that we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, you tell us to pray for our leaders, so we do so now. We pray for our local school board and principals. We pray that you will give them wisdom to lead their schools well. Help them be wise in how they work to protect our community's children. We pray that you will give those um, a voice who are your servants, that they may have an opportunity to speak the gospel to the people under their authority. Father, we also pray for the gospel to bear fruit in North Korea. We pray that you will make the church there a beacon of light and hope for that country. We pray that you will use your people to reflect godly values to that culture. We pray for King Jong-un. We pray that you will humble him and give him a heart of wisdom. Father, a king's heart is a stream of water in your hand. So we pray that you will direct his heart and bend to your will. Now, Father, we ask for your blessing on our own hearts. We need a word from you this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this morning that through your word we may abound more and more in love with knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I recently uh, came across some news that I thought would be interesting uh, to you all. Uh, According uh, to geneticists, there is a 50% chance of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge's baby, William and Kate, the royal baby, will be a redhead. Now, this is big news. Currently, uh, bookies are taking bets on the hair color of the royal baby. There is an 8 to 1 odds that the child will have red hair. We'll be blessed beyond measure with the glory of having red hair. Redheads have always had history of prominence in the English monarchy. Uh, with three of the greatest monarchs, Elizabeth I, Henry II, and Richard the Lionheart, all having been blessed beyond measure with the glory of having red hair. It is true that I am partial to redheads. I married a redhead. I have two redhead children. See, but when Ellen was pregnant with Elizabeth, there was no bookies taking bets on the hair color of the keen baby. My daughter was not a royal baby. She was born to two very typical people without much fanfare. But that's not how things work with royalty, is it? There has been much discussion about William and Kate's baby already. What will the name be? What will the baby look like? Will the baby be the future king or queen? What will the baby um, look like? I imagine as the baby grows in the, day, in the days ahead, uh, there will be more uh, people infatuated with this child, much like they were at the royal wedding. See, the birth of the future king is big news, and it should demand the world's attention. But not every birth of a future king has captivated the world's attention. The birth of the king of kings happened in obscurity among animals in a stable to a virgin teenage girl 
in a little town of Bethlehem. The birth of our Lord Jesus is strikingly opposite to the birth of the royalty of our world. He was born in humility as the king of kings. Although he did not receive worldly acclaim in the first century, no one was talking or taking bets on his hair color either, Jesus' humble birth gives us much reason to rejoice this morning. My prayer this morning that you will rejoice at the birth of this royalty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you want to follow along with me on the bulletin uh, provided on the back, uh, there'll be an outline. I'll work through that uh, with my first point being rejoice in a humble anointed. Rejoice in a humble anointed. Look with me again back at our text this morning in Luke chapter 2, starting in the first verse. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place, took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Gal- in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who, pl- who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I find it interesting how uneventful this story is. I mean, the birth narrative of John the Baptist actually takes up more space um, than the birth of Jesus. And I find it interesting considering that everything from Genesis chapter 3 until Luke is about how God was going to come and redeem his people through the messianic Savior. This was the time everyone was waiting for. Right here is the unfolding of the great plan of God. God came to rescue man by becoming a man, being born as a baby. Luke actually pays more attention to how the birthplace of Jesus and the lineage of his parents fit into this, God, this grand rescue plan. See, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that just so happened to coincide with the birth of the Messiah. The decree caused everyone to come to the town of their heritage. Joseph was of the line of David. And since David was born in Bethlehem, he had to return to that city. This decree to cause the prophecy to be fulfilled for Mount, um, in Micah 5, chapter 2, which says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. His greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Luke is trying to show the person he's writing this gospel to, the most excellent Theophilus, that God's word is coming true. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy, the great anointed one who is going to shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God is born in a humble place in a humble little town of Bethlehem. Look at verse 6. 
while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, as in she had more children. A son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this is a great cause for us to rejoice. Don't miss it. The danger that we come this Christmas season is you've, you've, you've read this passage before. Don't miss it. God was born in humility to be humiliated so that you could be saved. Listen to, to Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be that of the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus came as the king that he is, we would not have been saved. We would have been crushed destroyed, a traitor convicted of high treason to the king. Oh, beloved, we must rejoice that God came as a baby. For listen to how God would come at the end of times, when he will come in his full glory from Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but him himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. If he came that way first, beloved, you would not stand a chance. And we rejoice that God did not come in all that glory. We would not have survived, but he came in humility, becoming like us in every way, so that through his death he might save us. God came to bring salvation. But see, salvation always comes with judgment. He came to save sinners by being judged as a sinner. This humble birth is how we will eventually be exalted. Without this humble birth in a humble town, we would have no hope. And beloved, if you are in Christ this morning, you have hope. Isn't it always interesting when you, what happens when you get a new car? By new for me, I mean a, a, a newer used car, because that's how I roll, right? Uh, it's, it's amazing because you, you never notice the car that you had before. But as soon as you get a new, new car, you start to see that car everywhere on the road, right? So right when we got our new minivan, uh, I ran a minivan, don't judge, right? 
me and my kids always say, well, there's another big blue. There's another big blue car. See, but you know, something happens in our brain that gives us a category to recognize our new car. But after a few years of having your car, do you still notice other cars like yours? You still notice it, but it's not really a big deal, is it? You kind of see another car passing, and you just go, oh, there's a car that looks like mine. You don't think twice about it. And I believe this is the danger we face during Christmas. When we first become Christians, the idea of God being born as a baby is breathtaking. But with familiarity and routine, we hear about Jesus' birth and rarely give it a second thought. Think of new ways this season to hear the Christmas story afresh, that it can take your breath away just like it did the first time you heard it. For example, how about this? Every time you see the Chick-fil-A cow, remind yourself that Jesus was born next to cows. Remind yourself in some way that our God humbled himself. Because if you don't, you won't pay it a second thought. God, the creator of the universe, was born as a baby to a teenage girl in a stable placed in a feeding trough for an animal like a cow. So you could be saved. Shouldn't that take your breath away? Second point, rejoice in a humble audience. Rejoice in a humble audience. Now notice who got the first call of the birth. It was not the Roman ruler or the chief priest, but to a humble audience, average working people. Look down at the text in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now we'll get to the announcement here in a moment. But let's first first focus on the audience. The shepherds were working. They were watching the sheep to protect them from robbers and for animals. See, most people, uh, most scholars believe that these shepherds were outcast. They represented the downtrodden and the despised of the day. They were dishonest and unclean in regards to the Jewish law. People did not want to be around them. Now, we often see Bible Uh, imagery, uh, the shepherd imagery in the Bible. We see Psalm 23, which many of you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, John chapter 10, when Jesus calls himself, I am the good shepherd. So although there's good evidence to support that shepherds were known for dishonest and unclean regards to the Jewish law, I believe the shepherds are representing just a people that are humble. Everyday, normal, humble people. It brings back the, the song from Mary 152 in Luke when he, she said, she's saying, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. God came to the humble, to the average, to the poor. Look at how the, even the angel personalizes his message. He says, he says, a savior is for all the people, including you, shepherds, you outcasts, you downtrodden, you despised. And in verse 11, he says, 
for a Savior is born to you, meaning to you shepherds. One writer notes one of Luke's themes throughout his gospel is this, is the divine visitation of the poor and humble of Israel. God's visitation of, of salvation comes to the humble and the hungry, not the proud and the rich. Thus, those present at the birth of God's Son were not this world's rulers or religious leaders. Rather, the angelic invitation was extended to the shepherds on the fringe of society. They were present to see the birth of the Lord. Now, if we want to be imitators of God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5.1, then we should follow his, his example. We should go to the humble, to the average, to the poor, with the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, but our culture is not impressed with humble. Our culture is impressed with money and power, with beauty and charm. And sadly, I believe the church has fallen under the trance of our culture. Let me ask you a question. Who would you rather have join this church? A city councilman or a former drug dealer? A senator or a single mother? How you answer those type questions will reveal your heart. And truthfully, we should want them both. But we should want them both the same. Beloved, we live in a community full of shepherds. Full of people of humble beginnings, of humble origin. See, God came to a humble audience. Therefore, we must do the same. And I pray that God would increase the number of shepherds the humble, the average people in this church. It's not flashy. It's not what the world wants. It may not look like on the outside that the world, the happening, growing church. We may not be edgy. We may not be cool. But we may be of God. Isn't that what we want? I pray that God would increase the number of shepherds in our fold for the glory of our good shepherd, born in a stable. Thirdly, rejoice in a holy announcement. Rejoice in a holy announcement. Let's go back and look at this saying again, this, this announcement that the angels sing of. Jesus may have had a humble birth on earth, but there was rejoicing going on in the heavenly realms. The times had reached their fulfillment, and the Christ was born, and this joy was coming down from heaven. Joy and the gospel are often connected in Luke. So if you believe in the gospel of Christ, you should be a person of joy. That does not mean that you walk around all the time with a smile on your face, but even in the worst moments of your life, you have joy because you know that there is a future that you have in Christ forever. Are you full of joy this morning? The reason Luke gives us to rejoice is that the Messianic Savior is born. Listen, after the angel confirms the prophecy of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, in the city of David, he refers to Jesus in three ways. A Savior, Christ, the Lord. Now the first is important for all of us because we all need a Savior. We've all sinned. So on Christmas Day, I'm driving back to my hometown. I haven't been to my hometown, Palatine, Illinois, since about, for about 12 years. And I was thinking about that, and I was showing my kids where I went to high school. 
And a thought came to me about my my driver's test when I got my driver's license. Uh, In the back of the parking lot, there was a stop sign that no one ever stopped at. Okay, so I went and I got my my car for my driver's test, and I just went right by that stop sign. (laughs) And uh, Mr. Redlinger looked at me and goes, "Uh, son, did you see that stop sign? I go, yeah, but no one stops at that sign. It's no big deal, right? Takes out his pen and marks marks off on, on my test. Uh, well, the end of the, the uh, road test came, and I, I, pa- I passed. I got uh, my license. See, but the thing is, is um, in this world, we cannot get a perfect score and still pass the test. In God's world, that doesn't work. We, we, none of us are perfect. And the only way that you can pass God's test is that if you are perfect. So if you are here today and you are perfect, please raise your hand. Exactly, right? None of us are perfect. This is why it's good news. This is why we can rejoice. A Savior is born. Let us be happy about that. Let's be filled with joy. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark and fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, we need a Savior. And this is why we rejoice in the angel's announcement. A Savior is born for you. Are you a sinner? Have you been forgiven of your sins? If not, there's a Savior. There's a Savior. The angel also gives Jesus the title of Christ, which means he's the Davidic Messiah, the anointed one. He's the one that will fulfill all the prophecies written of centuries past. Then the angel calls Jesus Lord. This is one of Luke's favorite titles of Jesus. Jesus is given the title equal to God showing his readers that Jesus and God are one and the same. This baby born in Bethlehem is Emmanuel, God with us. So when you read the Gospels, pay attention how they explain who Jesus is. The most important thing in all of life is to think and to believe rightly about the Lord Jesus. There are many ideas in our culture about who Jesus is and and people telling you um, what he's like. Don't trust the world, trust the Bible. Luke gives us a small window of how the heavens react to Jesus. With a great company of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. We want to praise Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven praises God because of the salvation that comes in Jesus. And earth experiences peace. Now, many of you probably grew up reading the King James Version. The King James Version is is, is a wonderful version of the Bible, but here, the way they translate this verse, which has become very popular, is is probably not 100% the best translation. The the King James would read uh, uh, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It could be confusing because... Does peace come to all men? Does goodwill come to all men? Look at how the NIV translates right here. It says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom his favor rest. Well, that changes things a little bit. Or the, the English Standard Version. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, Jesus did not come that everyone should have peace but only on those whom his favor rests. 
or those whom he is pleased. This is very important to us. This is huge. Because in order to receive this peace that the angels declare, you must repent and believe in Jesus. Goodwill is not for everyone in the world. Goodwill is only for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to have peace with God, you must have faith. Do you have faith? If you're here today and you've never put your, given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you just came here because you wanted to, to be with family on Christmas because you always have been here, can I just encourage you? You don't have peace if you don't have Jesus. Don't leave today without making peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Well, fourthly and lastly, uh, rejoice in a holy acknowledgement. Rejoice in a holy acknowledgement. Because this is exactly how the shepherds responded. The shepherds responded in faith. Look down at verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds respond in faith. After the angels left, the shepherds said, let's go see what happened. Let's go, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that was told us. Was told by who? Look what the text says, which the Lord has told us about. They don't say that the angels spoke to me. They say the Lord has told us. The shepherds knew that they had heard from the Lord and responded in faith. They did not want to wait, but after hearing the word from the Lord, they obey. One writer says it this way, the depth of our spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. They did not want to wait after hearing the word of the Lord, but they obeyed. And I believe this should be our response for when we hear from the Lord, the word from the Lord. But I think we're too often distracted with other things. I believe that many people, now hear me, beloved, I believe that many people will miss out on God's peace because they do not respond to the word of the Lord. And I do not think it's because they don't want to, but rather because they just don't make the time for it. They live in the I'm going to dot, dot, dot. The I'm going to is, is no place for obedience. You either obey now, you can't obey in the future. I am notorious of this right around the holidays, right? Because we eat whatever we want. And we say, in the new year, I'm going to dot, dot, dot. Whatever the case may be. 
And I think too many people use that excuse with the Lord. We want to obey like the shepherds did, immediately. Let us learn from their examples and follow quickly in faith. And look what happened when they came in verse uh, 17. They had seen him. What did they do? They spread the word concerning what has been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had seen, I mean, heard and seen, which is just as they had been told. See, these shepherds became the first evangelist. They heard a word from the Lord, and they went to share it. Now, it says that, they, that they, they spoke to others who were with Mary and Joseph. We don't know who those others were. They could be other family members. They could be people from the community. We don't know. But the shepherds shared what they had seen and heard. And beloved, sometimes evangelism is as simple as that. Share what you have seen and heard. I think the church often complicates evangelism by trying to turn it into a program. Now, I'm not saying visitation programs uh, or corporate evangelism outreaches are bad. I think they have their place. But I think what the Lord would want us to do uh, primarily is to share, to share what we have heard and what we have seen. The primary evangelism in a local church is you going to your jobs, going to your neighbors, going to your family, and sharing what you have seen and heard. Has Jesus Christ changed your life? Tell people about it. Are you a sinner that has been saved by grace? Tell people about it. Have you found peace with God through Jesus Christ? Tell people about it. It's not that complicated. In 1967, a story came out called The Gospel Blimp. Uh, the story goes like this. Uh, George and Ethel, uh, and how they were concerned about the salvation of their next-door neighbors, but didn't know how to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. So during an evening get-together get of, of George and Ethel's Christian friends, everyone is captivated by the sign of a blimp flying overhead. Then Herm gets a bright idea. Why don't we use the blimp to proclaim the Christian message to unchurched citizens of Middletown. The group then forms a a, a corporation, the International Gospel Blimps Incorporated. They buy a used blimp, hire a pilot, then commences to evangelize their hometown by by Bible verse banners and firebombing tracks into people's yard and broadcasting Christian music over the loudspeakers. Well, needless to say, their strategies do not work. All sorts of problems develop. They start to question their personal and financial sacrifices, uh, the little fruit they are seeing. At the end of the, the, the story, eventually their neighbors come to Christ. But not because of the gospel blimp or firebombing or reading a message across the sky. They came to Christ because eventually someone shares with them what they had seen and heard about Jesus Christ. I think our church sometimes wants the responsibility to be somewhere else rather than inside our own lives. So we want to have a big event where we hire a big, popular athlete to come and share the message of hope. Well, 
if people will come, if, if Cam Newton comes and shares his testimony. You know what you should do? Go to the person that you were going to invite and share what you have seen and heard about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how evangelism works in the New Testament. Let's not overcomplicate matters. What if, you, what if I don't have the answer to the question? Say, I don't know the answer to your question. But this is what I do know. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. See, Christmas is about mission. Christmas is about God's mission to come and rescue the world through Jesus Christ. He wants to bring people peace through the gospel. The good news of great joy that a Savior has been born to take away people's sin and to give them hope for eternity. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in in John chapter 17, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. God sent Jesus as a baby to save the world. And Jesus sends us with the message about this baby for the same reason. So the shepherds responded rightly to the majestic voice. And so did Mary. Look back at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary heard what was said of her child, and she treasured up these things in her heart. The idea of pondering is kind of is the English translation, they mulled it over. Let me mull it over a little bit. Let me think on it. And that's what she did. She did not let the words spoken about Jesus just pass over her, which my fear is many of you are doing right now. Have you heard this message before? Are you treasuring it? Are you mulling it over? Or are you just letting it go over your head? Those who just let it go over their head, they miss the peace of God. Don't miss the peace of God in the message of the gospel. When I was a teacher um, in Washington, D.C., I would take my kids every year uh, to the, the National Holocaust Museum. Um, it was always a sobering trip uh, because of the graphic details and images that you see throughout the exhibits. And at the end of the mu- museum, there's this big room uh, called the Hall of Remembrance. And visitors are encouraged to take a few moments and to sit and reflect at what they just witnessed. See, the truth seen throughout the museum takes time to process and mull over. See, all, do deep, all deep truth, whether good or bad, takes time to sink in and to process. It has to sink into our hearts. And I've seen many Christmases in my own life come and go, where I do not think about this message. I'm so caught up in presents and parties and food to take notice. Can I just encourage you this season to slow down? Treasure up these things in your heart. Let your hearts be overwhelmed that we have good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. 
Listen to that again. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. A Savior has been born for you. He is Christ, the Lord. Take some time this afternoon, mull that over, and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ born into humility for a humble people that we may have good news of great joy. Father, we pray that we will treasure these things in our heart. Help us mull them over, God. That we are able to share what we have seen and what we have heard about the Lord Jesus. He is our Savior. He is Christ, the Lord. We pray this in His name. Amen.